If you want to know what that was about, we uh, traditionally take time at the beginning of every service for our children to give an opportunity to share a memory verse. And the object isn't perfection. The object there is spiritual growth. And for a child to stand in front of all of you, anybody in public, and take a stand for God is worth an ice cream cone, isn't it? Isn't it? So we encourage our children to do that. And um, <clears throat> I want to encourage you parents to help your children to succeed at that. It's just a good thing to teach them. This is a safe place for them to take a stance for Jesus and get them comfortable to do it here because they need to be able to do it out there. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Well, okay, so today's the 12th, and uh, we're starting a new series, but before we get into the series, uh, we, we always get a proverb, today being the 12th. Um, I chose verse 18 from chapter 12, proverb. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's a good one. So we've been, for the last nine weeks, in a series about family and family growth and health, and it was all, all, almost all Old Testament stuff from the book of Genesis, and a lot of families in the book of Genesis that were entertained, they're entertaining to um, look at what, they're, what they walk through. And so now we're going to go to the other end of the book, not all the way to the other end, but we're going to be looking at, in a series, and I want to study for a while the things that Jesus was passionate about. So we're going to fl- we need to flip over to a New Testament, um, and I, I'm going to take most of my material from this. The, it, all, of the, all of it's going to be scriptural, but most of the material is going to come from things that are printed in red words in my Bible which if your Bible is like mine, that typically means this is a quote from something that Jesus said. So I'm going to find out. And I think, and the, here's the deal. If you want to get to know somebody well, if you want to understand what makes them tick, what they're passionate, what they're fired up about, you have to, you've got to spend time with them. You've got, to, you've got to know what their hot buttons are and what their soft spots are and what they're sensitive to and what ramps them up. You get, to, to do that, you've got to get close. You've got to spend time with them. And so... Um, we're going to try to pursue getting an intimate understanding of who the king is. So in this, in this series, we're going to kind of dip into the Gospels, primarily, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, I'm going to invite you to come to this with an open heart, without any preconceived ideas of who you think Jesus is, and let's actually study it and let him say for himself who he is. And uh, we're going to find out what he's for, what he's against, what makes his heart beat, and um, what he's fired up about, things that Jesus is, the things that Jesus is passionate about. The prophet Hosea tells us to do this, that we're going to do. So this isn't our text, but Hosea 6.3 says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. The knowledge of, we're supposed to pursue the knowledge of the Lord. I don't, here's a quick, very, very quick idea of what it means to have knowledge of the Lord. What's the knowledge of the Lord? One, is, is there are facts about God? We've got to start with facts. Not what the world would tell us, but what are facts, you know, and, we, and, the, and the thing is that you can have your mind full of facts and still be lost, right? Right? Okay. So we want more than that. We want to have a good heart understanding of what those facts mean, you know, down deep in our hearts. You know, you can probably remember in your life a time when you had a good handle on some facts, but you didn't really understand, uh, have a good understanding, but we're after both here. We want the facts and we want understanding. And, and another part of, of, of no, the knowledge of the Lord is to have experience with God. We need more than to know about him and to understand about him. We have to have some encounters with the Lord. We need to be, you know, uh, you know I want to meet him. I want to be in his presence. I want to I see the, the residue of his touch on my life. And, uh, and then a fourth, we want to receive from him. The Lord has good things that he wants to do in and for his kids. And 
something about fullness and intimacy and the knowledge of the Lord. So that's where we're going to go. And so we're going to be in the Gospels and um, looking for the passions of Jesus. And here's the thing. We're going to let Jesus just be who he is. Okay, we're going to let Jesus be Jesus here. And um, we're not going to shave. We're not going to shape the things he says. We're not going to change it. I'm not going to soften it. I'm not going to sharpen it. I'm just going to let the Lord Jesus speak with power because he does speak with power. Would you agree with that? He, he speaks with power. So, so here we go. Today is going to be about something that Jesus, Jesus is passionate about commitment. Commitment. Okay, we're going to see that he's really passionate. He explains it. He argues for it. He teaches about it. He demands it, in fact, and he models it. And, and in fact, we're going to see that he rejects people who lack it pretty scary. Um, and, and he does seek out people who have it, but he also re- rejects some who will not be committed. He's fired up about commitment. And, you know, I, I really think that you couldn't spend an evening, just a simple evening without Jesus, and come away knowing that he's very, very passionate. He's fired up about commitment. You can see it all through his Gospels, so let's jump in. And uh, we're gonna, for this, we're going to be in mostly in the book of Luke today. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. We're going to stick it on the wall for you. But I encourage you to bring your Bible and a pen or a pencil. And to mark it up. You know, when, you're, when we're teaching here from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will be showing you things in the Word, and it's a good place to put little notes in there, and it will help it get in there. So I encourage you to bring a Bible and uh, to, to become good at flipping through the pages and finding the words of Christ. So we're going to be in Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, so there's a great big old crowd, and you're thinking, okay, here's a big moment. You know, he's got this, what's he going to say? You know, I'm, 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 he could say all kinds of things. Like, I'm glad to have all you people here following me. I'm, you know, my ministry is really flourishing, and I'm, I look at thousands of all these people. This is pretty exciting. You know, there was a time that he, had, he fed 5,000 men, and then there were women. I mean, he's used to having these big groups of people. But here's, we're going to see right off the bat here that Jesus really doesn't get the whole church growth thing. Okay, because he's going to say something here that, um, you know, it's like operation crowd reduction is going to kick in here. And um, he's going to, you know, start saying things that separate the goats from the sheep, you know, the, 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 the wheat from the tares. He's going to draw this line and we're going to see the line and we need to jump on the right side of this line. Okay, so he turns to them and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <laughs> Wait a minute. There must, is that a typo? Does your Bible say that too? I mean, I have to confess, you know, I've read that a lot of times, but it's just one of those like, okay, there's something going on here. Until I really study this, I'm just going to sit and be uncomfortable about it, but I trust Jesus, so I'm going to kind of gloss on and go into the next... Anybody else? Do you, nobody? Okay. I mean, it's like, wait a second. That's, if I don't hate my father, my mother, my brother, my sister was easy to hate. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> don't kids, you know, you, okay. I'm joking. Okay, so, but if I don't hate them, I can't be his disciple. Now, I'm guessing at this moment, he's got all these people following him. And the disciples are kind of amped up because this thing is really working. Look at all the people we got. And so they, they, Jesus says this, and they start to scramble. Wait, wait, well, uh, what, what? And they, you know, I can just imagine what was going on in the back scenes there. Behind Peter, probably Peter is getting ready to say something really silly, like, you know, Jesus, would you just please stop this? 
What are you trying to do? We get all these people together. How are we going to change the world? If you keep flushing all these people away every time we get them together. And then Jesus, you know, cool Jesus. Hey, Pete, it's okay. Settle down. If you just would wait here, you'll get this, that we'll be able to change the world with just a handful of people that are actually truly committed. I mean, I think that could be going on. Jesus is using hyperbole here. And hyperbole, you know, hyperbole is a, is, a, is a device of speech where you exaggerate something to make a point. Are there any English teachers here? I hope I got that right. Okay, okay. So anyway, that, that, that's what's going on. I mean, we, we do it all the time, don't we? I mean, we do that. Jesus does it quite a lot in, in Scripture. You'll see it over and over. And here he says, if you don't hate your father and your mother, you can't be my disciple. Let me be the first to say here, I do not hate my mother and my father. I love you, Mom. <laughs> okay, I hope I can still be Jesus' disciple, even if I love my mother, okay? I mean, he's not... Is, is, is that what he, it really means? Is he really calling us to hate our family? Of course not. He doesn't want us to hate our mother and our father. It's, um, you know, he, he told us to love our enemies. I mean, of course he doesn't want us to hate our mother and our father. Okay, then fair enough. What's he saying here? All right. There's a comparison scripture in Matthew 10. Basically, he says, if you don't love me more than you love your father and mother. I mean, the point here is obvious. Jesus wants us to take all of our human loyalties, every relationship and everything that we value in life, pile it all up and set it down on this scale, right? It's a scale, a pan here with a chain that goes up and, right? Take all that stuff and stick it on a scale. Now take the commitment and love we have for Christ and stick it on the other side. And when you let go, if that thing doesn't go on the Jesus side, then you've got a problem. That's what Jesus is saying here. And you see this taught over and over and over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, everywhere. I mean, and all this, it's, it's over and over and over in the words of Jesus. I'll give you a couple examples. I won't spend a lot of time on these. Matthew 13, there's a little brief comment that Jesus talks about this pearl of great price. Okay, he's the pearl of great price. And he tells a story about this guy who sells everything he can just so he can buy this, gives up everything to get this one pearl. Um, another one is Luke 18, the rich young ruler. Bless that little one. Full of life. Right, Dad? Right. I didn't make them mad. They're not leaving. They're just sensitive to you, right? Okay. So, um, um, in fact, that's our youth pastor. That's how come I know they didn't just leave us, right? <laughs> when little ones squeak, and, and that's, that's church life, right? Little ones squeak and make noise, and we have room for children in our church, and we love them. So, so the, another example here is the rich young ruler. This, you know the story. If, you're, if, if you've been in church very many times, this, this guy comes to Jesus, and he wants to follow him. He says, I want to follow you. I want to go everywhere. And Jesus, sure, yeah, you can do that. I got one thing that you need to do first. Go and sell everything that you own, everything, give it to the poor, and then come on, let's go. And, um, and this guy walked away, Scripture says, because he had so much wealth, he just couldn't do that. You know? And that's where Jesus makes a comment. It's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And um, you know, what's the point of these examples? The point's this. Jesus wants our pure, unadulterated, 100% everything, everything, everything commitment. Everything else comes behind him. He wants to be first. 
He's just not willing to be a check mark on our to-do list. He's just not. And, and, and this is an important topic because with the pressures and the demands on our lives, life is so busy. And there are a lot of other priorities. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I want to be sensitive and take just a moment of sensitivity to this and say to those of you who parent little kids and those of you who parent any kids, it's really important the signals that you send to your children about what your priorities are. And one of the ways that shows up is Sundays. Now, listen, I'm preaching the choir. I know you're here on Sunday. But make sure that the signals you send to your children are to honor Jesus first. Honor Jesus first. And he's committed. Jesus is fired up about commitment. And he, he's, you know, he says, there's all these scriptures you probably have heard. You know, deny, deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. You know, lose your life. Be ashamed of me and I'll be ashamed. He, he just, John 6, he says, he says a, a, a corker. He says, eat my flesh, and, my flesh and drink my blood. Okay. What? <laughs> okay. When, when that came up in the passage, you can read about this in John 6. I'm not going to take you there right now. But if you read that, when that came up, the disciples are going, wait, 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 what? This was another one of these, what, what did he just say moments? And in fact, it says that many of the disciples couldn't handle that teaching and they walked away. And here's the important, something, I, I, as I read that and I was reading this, you know, preparing for today, I was thinking, here's what's missing from that story. You know what ha- didn't happen there? Jesus didn't jump up and go, wait, 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 come back, come back, come back. You don't get it. This is really valid. I'm just trying to make a point here. He didn't do that. He, I think there was an expectation on our Savior's heart that's like, okay, I'm not chasing you down. If you don't care enough to learn what is really in my heart and what I'm really meaning and what I'm really about, that's a choice you're making. You're not committed. You can't be my disciple. And he let him walk away. He's fired up about commitment. You seeing it? Right? Okay. I mean, he's really fired up. And if we're going to be his followers, we need to get fired up and we need to be fired up about it too. Okay. Um, Terry, can you break that down for me? Glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Okay. So, um, How does Jesus define commitment? Now, by the way, I'm not going to give you a list of things you're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit may talk to you personally about some things, but I'm going to define what commitment looks like by the words of Jesus, by the teachings of Jesus, and we'll go from there. Because remember, I'm going to let Jesus be Jesus here, right? So um, one, how does Jesus define commitment? The first thing is he, he, he feels people of commitment are people who count the cost of commitment. Let's continue on. Um, Luke 14, 27. Words of Jesus are in red. And, and, and it says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, the cross here is symbolic of the hardship related to following Christ. You know, and you can probably name in your own life what is the cross that you carry. You know, what's your cross? I mean, you have one. You probably... And the thing is that to be his follower, you've got to pick that up and carry it. You have to. Jesus says, if you won't pick that and carry it, if you won't do it, you can't be my disciple. So, you know, what might, might a cross be? Well, maybe for you it's rejection or loneliness or um, you're being persecuted for some reason. Or maybe it's a, it's a Christian lifestyle um, thing where... There are just things now that you won't do anymore, places you won't go, people you won't be with, 
jokes you won't laugh at anymore. Or, you know, maybe it's just a matter of faith for you. It's a, you're, you're, that's your cross to carry. You're, you're, you're going to trust God with, with some specific hurts in your life, and you're going to forgive. You're going you're to trust God with, with certain needs that you have, and you're going to just unload them and give them to Jesus. You're going you're to trust him with certain people who have hurt you, and, and, and you're just going to trust God and keep on loving those people anyway. You've got a cross to carry. Every single person has a cross. And Jesus says to every one of us, whatever that thing is, whatever that hardship is that you have to carry because you're choosing to follow me, you've got to carry it. Carry it. Pick it up and carry it. And, you know, I think there could be a little voice in your soul that says, I don't want to carry it. Okay, it's the free choice that God gives, but if that's your choice, you can't be his disciple. That's what this comes down to. And notice how he goes on in the text, verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? whether he has enough to finish it. So that word, that word to count the cost there, that comes from a Greek word that basically, it basically is translated pebble. Pebble. It's like they would use these little pebbles and they would become worn smooth and they, they didn't have calculators, okay? So it's basically an abacus without the, you know, the little, okay? Uh, that, uh, communications is my skill. <laughs> that little, you know. Um, if you would laugh at my dumb jokes, it would just make me feel a lot more comfortable. And then I wouldn't have to ask you to laugh at my jokes. Okay, so they would take these pebbles and, okay, one, two, and they would keep track, and that's how they do it. So, so this, is, this is suggesting not just this, this casual approach. You know, this, is, this is not, oh, I think I can handle it. Let's just, let's just go for it. This is, no, this is a, a very precise consideration of what the cost is actually going to be to be a follower of Christ. Count the cost. Jesus is passionate about people who count the cost. And two, people who finish the course. Second, re- second way we say people who finish the course of their commitments. Verse 29 and 30 talk about this guy building the tower. You know, do I have enough money to, to finish here? Verse 29, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying... I think this is where I'm supposed to grab my nose and read the rest. Okay. This man began to build and was not able to finish. Right? It's this mocking. <laughs> I know. I've told you already. I'm not mature enough to do this. So, okay. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. This guy got started and wasn't even smart enough to count the cost. And now look at that stupid half-finished thing that he's building or this half-finished quality in his life. You know, you know and, and it's just this childish attack fact-based because the guy didn't count the cost and he really wasn't ready and this is just a childish attack on this man but here's the deal when we say I'm a follower of Christ Jesus' name gets on the line too with us it's like saying you know this is how Jesus is he doesn't finish the things he starts it's really important that we don't have people you know saying you know Hey, Terry, I knew you before you knew Christ. And, you know, you're kind of, you changed at first, but now you're kind of turning back into that guy, right? Or, or you, know, you know, Terry, you're supposed to be this Christian. 
Christians don't really behave this way, do they, Terry? I mean, I know we get held to this standard, and we all understand that we're not supposed to be the example to the world that's supposed to be Christ. But here's one of the costs of not counting the cost and not following through to finish, is that it reflects on the name of our Savior. It brings a reproach on the name of Christ. And Jesus is not into that. He's not into us having a stain, us placing a stain on the name of the King. He's into commitment. He's into people who count the cost and finish. And then the third way is people who pay the price of their commitment. Okay, so we're going to read on here. Jesus gives another example. These are just examples. He's going bang, bang, bang and going down these examples. Verse 31. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Okay, so this king learns that 20,000 troops are coming to attack him. He doesn't know his count. He's got 10,000. He says, okay, are our 10,000 enough to overcome these 20? Because there are going to be some casualties here. There could be some people who die. Can we win this? Is the cost going to be worth it? Because he's got options. He's got some options. He can, go on, he can go on and battle this guy, or it continues, verse 32, or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. The factor here, the pivotal factor in this, the key here is the price. Am I willing to pay the price? There's a cost associated with following Christ. Now, you're not going to find a lot of books on Amazon.com about the cost of following Christ. (laughs) They're not very popular. They don't sell. But we're not on Amazon.com. We're in the book. And um, there's a cost. And the book makes it clear. I want to talk about that clarity issue a little bit because, it, because real Christians know this. To follow Christ, there's a price that we pay. You know, kings who defend their kingdom until hardship comes, until the suffering starts, or, or until a price must be paid. They don't stay king for very long. Same thing translates to Christians. Christians who are, are willing to follow Christ until there's some heat applied until there's a sacrifice, until there's suffering or a price, you know, they don't follow Christ for very long. And commitment is a big deal to Jesus. You know, he's passionate about people who won't count the cost, who won't finish the course, who won't pay the price. He says in verse 33, cannot be. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he, all, all, all that he has cannot be my disciple. And it's that scales thing again. It's that commitment, you know. If your commitment to me doesn't exceed everything else that you care about. You cannot be my disciple. And, you know, I I look at that, I I think, okay, this is not good marketing, Jesus, right? Because in this little passage, he keeps saying it over and over. Verse 26, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, you cannot be. Verse 33, you cannot be. So God is repeating this over and over again. It seems pretty negative, Jesus is pretty smart. I, I don't want to assault my, my Savior and say, what are you thinking, Jesus, here? Although that's what I've been suggesting, right? Okay, forgive me for that, but, but I'm going to keep reading here. We're going to find out what's going on. It's like, I, I, just, I, I think the problem here can't be with us understanding, because this is very clear. It's easy to understand what he's saying here. The problem is, is with us adjusting. I've got to adjust my idea of, of you know, what it means to be committed with Christ and get that into alignment with what he thinks it means. It's not easy to do. You say, well, I want to do that, but sometimes I fail. 
I mean, that's me. That's my testimony. I, I want to. I don't, I'm not good at it. I'm not, not perfect at this. Why does commitment break down? Now, I will just make the comment to you that since I'm teaching this um, about, and, and this is the Word of God, if this is a principle in the Word of God, I should be able to show this to you in lots of places, not just one place. If this is, a, if this is not just a single issue that, oh, okay, I've got a whipping, I'm going to whip, whip this issue to death, this should be elsewhere, right? I'm going to show you some more places because it's a lot of places. The same three points are found throughout the Gospels in lots of places. So we're going to look now at Luke 9. Um, it shows the exact same truth from another passage. But this time I want to go at it from a different perspective. I want to go at it with the question in mind, why do my commitments break down? Why do they kind of unravel sometimes? You know, I'm thinking, you know, I, I've sat in the pulpit, or I sat in the church lots of times and heard messages, and I'm thinking, I've heard this before. I, I want to be a f- follower of Christ. I want to finish strong. You know, I want to count the cost. I'm willing to pay the price, but sometimes I collapse. It just doesn't happen. What's, what's the deal? Okay, so Luke 9, starting in 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds really good so far, right? I mean, Lord, I'll follow you wherever. Sounds really good. He's, he's got the right title, Lord. Lord, Master, you're the man, Jesus. You, you know, you're the boss. You're in charge. He's got the right title. He's got the right distance. Lord, I'll follow you wherever. That's pretty hard to beat. You know, what do you mean by, well, wherever? I mean, hills, valleys, the good, the bad, the cold, the hot. He's got the roles right. I'll follow. He says, I'm a follow. You're the leader. I don't have any maps. I don't have any ideas. I don't have any itinerary stops we got to make. I don't, I don't have a need for a collaboration between you and me so that I agree before we go. You're the leader. I'm the follower. He's got, he's, it sounds really good so far. But Jesus does something that you and I aren't so able to do he looks into this guy's heart and he says this. He says, um, verse 58, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is basically saying why this guy's commitment would break down. He's basically saying, you haven't counted the cost. You don't even know what you're talking about. You want to follow me and go where I go. You don't even have any idea where I'm going to go. And you, you, you know, I don't even have a place to lay down my head. If you think this is going to be a string of stays at the Holiday Inn and that free breakfast bar every morning where you make the waffles and you put them into the, and you flip the, anybody? You've all had breakfast, I hope. I mean, that's not, that's not what's going to be happening. Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of hardship. There's going to be a lot of suffering related to following. And I can only work with people who are totally committed. That's what he's saying to this guy. You haven't counted the cost. And I would say, just take a, just a moment, and I'm going to go on a topic that I really don't do much from the pulpit here. You've heard this from me. I don't talk about what's being preached very much out there, but I'm going to just take a minute on this one because I think it's important. I think this is one of the problems with common preaching in our country today. You know, we think that the way to get the gospel into people's hearts is you hide the cost. It's, it's really common, you know. It's, it's an approach where, where, where someone says, you know, I really want you to know Jesus. In fact, Jesus is good. And these things are all true. And, and, I, and, and they share with him, these, here's what will happen in your life. You will, these things will change, and you'll walk with the Lord, and you'll, and you'll confidence and peace about eternity, and, and he'll speak to you. And, and then after you get on board with Jesus, then I'll share the hard part with you. It's not said that way. 
but there's a, a philosophy that that's how it comes out. And they mean well, but that's a bad plan. Because Jesus never did that. He never, ever, ever hid the cost. And the reason I'm bringing that up now is that there's a scripture that talks about this, um, why this is happening today, and what I believe are the last days of, of human history. 2 Timothy 4 says these words, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That scripture says that in the last days, people will say, I'm going to go hear this person as a preacher because I like what they say. It matches my passions. Where instead, we ought to learn the passions of the one who wrote the scripture. Because that, that is the person whose passions will save you. They will. And I mean, you, you can just decide for yourselves, is this happening in American culture today or not? And listen... Here, I, I make those comments so carefully. And you ought to not go off and start talking about what's wrong with other churches. Here's why you shouldn't do that. Jesus died on the cross to give birth to his bride, the church. Don't ever assault his bride. And there may be churches that do some things really well. And they maybe don't do other things as really well. This is a church that does some things okay, pretty good. And other things we don't do that well. I don't know what they are, but I know this. This is not the perfect place. I know it's not perfect because you and I are here, right? <laughs> okay? But th- my point is that be very careful. And I'm not meaning to assault the bride of Christ here. I mean to say, Jesus never hid the cost. He was right up front. He always said the hard part first, you know. You know, you may be thinking about committing something to me, but, but, but here's a few things you need to know first. <laughs> Jesus was really upfront about that. And I think the, the approach of sharing the gospel today in our culture has created you know, some kind of strange gospels. Um, you know, this gospel of the big offer, so almost you could call it the big offer, where you know, if you accept Jesus, he's going to make you happy and successful. Or you know, um, it, it's, it's, he's going he's to heal your home and fix your family. Now, to be sure, Jesus wants to do those things. Don't, don't misunderstand that. But the promise of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins and avoidance of the wrath of a mighty God. That's what the gospel is. Freedom from the guilt of our sins. The rest of the stuff, maybe. We'll see. Um, and <laughs> so, um, you know, the gospel that's wrapped up in all these other kind of big offers, I really believe that leads to people who aren't genuine disciples. Anyway, you know, you might observe, you know, Terry, you seem kind of passionate about this, concerned about this. Well, I am. I am. I'm concerned about anybody who thinks that they have Jesus, but they really don't. So, and I'm not assaulting anybody's faith. I just, um, okay, Jesus just did not hide the cost. He's fired up about genuine commitment. And, okay, so that's one of the ways commitment breaks down is the cost is not counted ahead of time. Second way it breaks down is the price is not paid during hardship. We go along for a while, but then it begins, you know, when it starts to cost us something, we kind of unravel. Continue uh, reading verse 59. Then he said to another, follow me. Jesus says, to, says, follow me. And here comes the response. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Seems pretty reasonable, right? 
In fact, in the time of Jesus, this meant even more because in, in burying a family member was, a, was considered a supreme obligation. I mean, leaving a corpse unburied through the night was considered a very highly disrespectful sin. They had very high expectations. You will, be, you will go and you will worship in the temple. And there was no excuse for not being there, right? But there was one time that the priests would give you a pass. You don't have to be there today. And it would be to go bury a family member. So this, was, this, this kind of seemed um, pretty legitimate. And, um, you know, it wasn't, the, the deal wasn't, when a family member passed away, they didn't say, hey, okay, let's plan the, um, the memorial. I think in three weeks, Aunt Mabel from Billings will be able to be here, so we'll do it on that Saturday. Like, we do, because of sensitivity, which is what we should do. But they didn't do this. Family member died. They went for the shovel. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 5, Ananias, okay, when Ananias died, he was in the ground in three hours. I mean, they're serious about this. So, Jesus, I got to go bury my dad. Sounds pretty reasonable, right? Jesus is not against human obligation, okay? Absolutely not. He's not against that. He didn't refuse this guy because it was a silly request. And he didn't refuse him because it was against, he's against somehow day-to-day obligation. He's not. He's not against those things. The text will show us here what's going on. We've got to look a little deeply to see. Um, and, but in the middle of this phrase that we've read, there's an oxymoron, right? Okay, read it again. Then he said to another, look for the oxymoron, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, oxymoron, you know what that is, right? That's, that's like jumbo shrimp. Right? Oxymoron. Okay, so it's, um, you know, are you with me? Deafening silence. Oxymoron. Winning mariners. Okay, okay. So, but it's, it's, you know, it's words that don't go together. In fact, they might suggest something like this, okay? And, and here are the words what the follower says. He says, Lord, me first. Something's wrong there. Now, I want to be careful. I don't want to judge this guy too harshly because I know the struggles in my own life where I feel like I'm this follower of the Lord. Look, I passed through this church and I preached, da, 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 da. Oh, by the way, me first. I'll be right with you, God. I do that. I, I, so I don't want to, but this guy says, Lord, rightful ruler, master of the universe, creator, me first. There's... Jesus picks up on that. Price not paid during hardship. And that's how it is with a lot of people who say, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ until he asks me to do something that I don't want to do. Tithe. Serve. Forgive. Deny myself. You know, or until he asks me to, to say something that I just don't want to say. You know, I know you're discouraged, but I just feel prompted to tell you Jesus loves you. Or he says, he sends you to minister to somebody. You just don't want to do it. Not paying the price during hardship. Third thing comes up in the, in the next verse after this. Jesus says to him, he says to this guy, let the dead bury their own. In other words, let people who are spiritually dead handle this. In fact, this is a rabbit trail. I won't spend too much time on this. But in the time of Jesus, there were professional people who did the, the preparing of the, of the dead for most family members. So the guy really probably didn't even have to do it. Anyway, okay, keep going. Um, 
Um, okay, he's, that's not your first obligation. He says, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, you see, he did the same thing, me first. He, Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, so he, he said, same, you could, I trained you that time. You saw the me first in the sentence with Lord, right? Okay. But this is a person who will not finish the course of his commitment. And, you know, the comments of this guy seem pretty similar to the last guy. You know, hey, I need to go be hospitable and say goodbye to some people at my house. But it, it's, it seems even weaker than the last guy. I got to bury my father versus I got to go say goodbye. I mean, and he's saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm absolutely going to follow you. You, you. you can count on me. I will follow you from day one till the end of time, Lord. I'm going to follow you for sure, but there's just this one thing holding me back. I, I got to say goodbye to mom and dad. And Jesus looks in this heart. And, you know, I know this was done with love, so I can't really approximate this because I can't love the way Jesus does, but he, I, I know he looks at this guy and he says, you know, really? You're going to raise that now. Here you are at this moment of committing and dedicating your entire life to something that is going to have eternal, it's going to change you, it's going to change people, and you're going to bring me that hurdle? hurdle? You could go, except you got to go, I mean, listen, if you can't get over this hurdle, there are way bigger hurdles coming in ministry than this one. And if this is the limit of the hurdle you can jump, I can just tell you, we're not, we're not on the, you're not going to be able to finish this. We're not going in the same direction. But Jesus says to him, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So the picture here is this farmer who's out in the field and he's trying to, to plow a straight furrow. He's trying to go in a straight line. You know, I got to think about straight lines with the grass. It's like if you look at the grass, you'll wonder, but you got to look at the end. You got to look at the goal and you go towards... Is there anybody here? Because I don't really get to mow the lawn anymore. Lisa won't let me. <laughs> I, I'm the victim. Anyway, so, so I mean, he's, this is a farmer, and he's plowing the line, but the while he's plowing the line, he's thinking, you know, I'm pretty sure the last time I made a turn down by the farmhouse, Lisa was cooking brownies. That definitely smelled like chocolate. I wonder what's going on in the barn right now. If the kids are okay, where are my kids, and what's, who, are the Seahawks going to even win? You know, so... <laughs> So he's out in the field, and you know he's 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 just got his his focus is somehow wavering. As a follower of Christ, you know, and I'm in this quandary. I, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm trying to squeeze the absolute most I can out of this life. And um, you know, and I want to follow Jesus, but I gotta just take care of this one other thing. I'm I want to follow Jesus, but you know, I just. I got to take these sewing lessons, and it's really. I, I want to follow Jesus, but I just want to do this thing with my kids right now. I mean, not fit. Not fit. Those are the words of Jesus here, right? Not fit. <laughs> Fair enough to say to me, okay, that seems pretty strong, Terry. What does it mean, not fit? And I got to say this to you I don't think I'm supposed to tell you that. This is not me being condescending. Please forgive me if it comes across that way. I really believe this is one of those areas where the Holy Spirit would call me to not stand up here and give you rules for your life. This is the Holy Spirit saying, here's the words of Jesus, not fit. This is for you to wrestle out with the Lord on your own. What is it? What is it going on in my life, Terry's life, 
This is between me to wrestle out with the king. This is for you to wrestle out. What is it, Lord, that would cause you to look at me and say, not fit? It's a question to, you know, it's just hard. Jesus is passionate. He's passionate about commitment. You know, I think, when I think about Jesus um, and our image of Jesus, you know, I think the one that is really common comes from Revelation 3 that says, Lo, I stand at the door and knock, and if you'll open up, I'll come in and dine with you. Okay, so there's this image that we have of Jesus being this, there's this picture that's completely wrong of, of this Jesus, this timid Jesus somehow on the outside going, Oh, please, could you let me come in? I've been out here so long. I've been waiting a long time. And it's true. Jesus says, I'm standing out here and I want to come into your heart. Open up and good things are going to happen. That's a paraphrase, which is dangerous when you're talking about the revelation. Okay, But it's accurate. He, he is in a position. He wants to come into hearts. But the idea that he's timid out there, out in the cold, left and weak, and, and, and that, is n- that is not the Jesus of the gospel. It's not in there. It's just not in the gospel. Here's how the gospel, here's how the book of Acts describes Jesus in Acts 17. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Jesus commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he will judge. There is, this, this is who Christ is. He commands us to repent. He stands at the door and knocks, true enough, but don't mistake that for a Weak need hope. He commands everyone, er, everywhere. And he calls for genuine commitment. I, I suppose like by now you're probably you know, catching the fact that this really isn't so much a message about commitment as it is a message about commitment to Jesus. And it's, it's not as though you know, he doesn't realize that you have commitments to other things too. Okay, it's not like he doesn't know that you're, you're you're committed to your business or your wife. Jesus wants you committed to your wife or your husband, right? He wants that. But I think that we should just dispense with a notion that pictures Jesus as this insecure, jealous, you know, person who just somehow has to has to have everything for himself. Everything, give me, give me mine, my mine. Dispense with that notion, and, and instead, it's, it's just not like that. It's just not like that at all. This is the loving savior of your soul who looks, you know, he knows that if he's not first in your life, a lot of other stuff is going to get messed up, go sideways. You know, and like if I put my boss first, he's not going to understand when I try to do something that's really to, to right thing for my family and things are going to go wrong for me. If, if, I, put my, if I put my friends first, my, my friends just don't understand about my commitment to Christ, and there's going to be relationship problems, expectations. I mean, it, we're, th- this is Jesus saying, make me first. Make me so important that the rest of the things that you're concerned about just don't even come close to adding up. And, and then everything else will fall into place. Scripture tells us that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things, you know, Yeah, Jesus is interested in your marriage. He is interested in your career. And he wants you to be committed to those things. He's he's really interested. The the major commitments in our life, and here's a very broad overview of what I mean by major commitments. Commitment to God. Mark 12.30 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay? Commitments to your family. Here's what God says about your commitment to your family. If you don't provide for your own family, your... You've done two things. You have denied the faith and you're worse than an infidel. 
Interesting that the Bible uses the word infidel. We think that's owned by a different faith, right? But it depends on your translation. Anyway, okay, so another, another commitment is to the church, to his bride. Hebrews 10, I'm going to read this one to you. And, and, and yes, this is a life commitment too. Here's his, he says, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We must not neglect meeting together. That means attending church. We must not neglect attending church as is the habit of some. And instead, we must continue to encourage one another even more as you see the day coming near. It's because that's where we flourish, committed to church. Another one is to friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says, friends love at all times and a brother is born for adversity. To work, I'm just not going to keep going here. Just, there are these major life commitments that all of us have to make. And I'm going to give you another comment that I'm just not going to lay out for you necessarily. I'm going to say, you need to sort the order out. I'll give you a hint, though. Jesus needs to be at the top. Put God at the top of that list. And um, I promise you if, you, if you actually truly put him at the top, the rest of it's going to fall into place. Okay. So Jesus is fired up about commitments. So you ask, how do I keep my commitments? We're just about done. We're going to pray here in just a moment. Two quick things. Um, how can I keep my commitments? One is daily accountability to God. Every day. Every day. You know, and my, my hope in this, as I was putting this together and praying about this and praying for you, is that this week, men and women would be getting before the Lord saying, Jesus, Lord, what are my commitments? What is it that you seek for me? You know, what are my commitments to you, to my family, to my job, but of course to you first, Lord? And the second thing is, and this is a suggestion, and I don't have the time to explore this with you, but regular accountability with a friend who has similar commitment. You know, is there somebody in your life who can ask you the tough questions that you need to be asked? You know, someone who will walk up to you and say, how's your walk with the Lord been this week, not three years ago? How are you doing with the Lord? How are things going with you and your spouse, you know, if you're married? Or how are things, if you're single, how are things going with you in your, in, in your in living a single lifestyle and righteousness? How are you doing with that? How are things at work? Are you honoring the Lord at work, or are you a different person at work than you are in church? Jesus is passionate about commitment. Let's pray. Lord, um, this is a hard subject because... It's easy for us to come up with a threshold of commitment that we feel good about, that we would call acceptable if we were to do the measuring. And this message today also could feel to some like a performance directive. There are certain things that we got to do to be saved, and that is not what, what I've taught today, Lord. But there is something about the relationship with you that you expect of us. And Lord, when we minimize that to our own detriment, thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to tell us and to speak life and truth to us. Lord, I, I want to ask for something supernatural to happen right now, that for every word that I've said, every concept that I've said that somehow does not... Um, support what it is you want to do in the hearts of us, your kids today, would you cause that just to kind of blow away in the wind like chaff? But whatever the Holy Spirit has been speaking here this morning, let it take root and let it grow and let it be, let it thrive. Lord, for, for us, we maybe have areas of our lives that you would bring to our hearts this morning that we need to 
lay at your feet and say, okay, there's the area I struggle, Lord. I don't feel like I have had necessarily today a miraculous, supernatural purging of that in my soul. Instead, I've got to walk this out. And we need your help, Lord. Would you walk us out through those those issues? Would you, Lord, speak to us something of our tomorrows that will lead us there with hope? We know, Lord, that you're, you're, we know your thoughts about us. They're really good ones. We know about your plans, Lord. They're really good ones. For, forgive us for our failings and how we have failed you, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that will not hap- what will not happen today is that there will be condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let that take root in this place, Lord. And Lord, while we're praying, while eyes are closed, I, I, I suppose there are people here who have... Um, this all sounds really good, but they don't really even know you. And they don't know you. And so they know that their name is not written in your book of life. They don't know where eternity will lead. And unless they have a relationship with you, Scripture says that no one comes to the Father except through you. If they don't have that relationship, if they have not been saved, born again as you described it to one of the Pharisees, if they have not been born again, they don't have their name in that book of life. They don't have the assurance of eternity in heaven. But they can. Lord, I pray that your spirit would save souls today, that you would save people from an eternity that's terrible. Please keep your eyes closed, um, church. If you've never said, made that decision to open your heart to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who loves you enough that he came and prayed, paid a terrible price to, to pay for your sins, you can do that right now. And I'm not asking you to join the church. You may never be back in these doors again ever. You may not. Who knows what what tomorrow holds for you, but you want to secure your eternity now by being right with God. This is an opportunity for you to do that. For you just to decide in your heart and say, I will open my heart to the king. I just want to pray with you, and that's all. I'm not going to call you out or identify you in any other way. Would you just look up and make eye contact or give me a little hand wave, and I'm just going to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. If I missed you, wave at me. I don't want to miss anybody else. Okay, thank you. God bless you too. Scripture says your sins are forgiven. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Anybody else? Good. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for these that have opened their heart, tender before you. We credit, Lord, your spirit for speaking to people's hearts because of the unmeasurable love you have. Fill these, these with life, Lord. And Lord, I pray too over them and ask God for you to put into their life people who will help them in their relationship with you, help to know more about you. Help them, Lord, to learn who you are and to walk with you as a friend. Now, Lord, for all of us this day, we, we thank you, Lord, for the fact that you do order our steps. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward.